happy Thanksgiving. Happy Thanksgiving. Just exciting to be into the Thanksgiving weekend. And uh, I, I, I love the idea of it being Thanksgiving and even talking to you about giving. Giving should come out of our thankfulness, out of our gratitude for all that God has and is doing in our lives. We've been in this series. Uh, we call it the Being Us series. And I've been taking you through the five G's. And so far we've gone through, you know, gathering we gather together for the purpose of centering our lives around Christ. And then we moved into groups. We grouped together for the purpose of connecting with each other around the truth of Christ. And then last week I talked to you about growing. And so we grow together in order to cultivate our lives in the person of Jesus Christ. And so this week it's about giving. And all of these G's come to us through God's holy word. In fact, in Acts chapter 2, 42 through 47, we're inspired as a church. And I, I shared with you a few weeks ago that, that Acts chapter 2 or Acts, the book of Acts as a, as a whole informs us as to the norm for the church. It informs to the norm. And so we take our cues from the book of Acts and we extrapolate. And it's not, it's not law per se, but there's guidance in the book of Acts for the church of 2023. And so we here at the bridge, we find our lead and we find our guidance from the book of Acts. Now, you know that the book of Acts is actually the story of the first church, the very first inaugural church. It's sort of like the genesis of the history of the church. And that's what the book of Acts is all about. And it started in the Holy Land. It started in Jerusalem. And it was the Israelis who were gathered in Jerusalem. And the disciples were Jewish people. And so just because of all that has happened this weekend... For our brothers and sisters who are in Jerusalem, in Israel, and even in Gaza, there are people of faith. I thought we might just take a moment and pray. That we might just look to God on behalf of that region of the world. A region that he is obviously very much involved with. So let's pray. Father, in Jesus' name we come before you. And we are ready to learn. And we're ready to be informed on the basis of what is the norm that comes to us from this beautiful book that has its roots in the lands of Jerusalem and Israel and Judea. And, and Father, we, we, we have a heart that is attached to the Holy Land. And we're affected by what we've heard, what we've seen. And this attack that has happened on Israel some are referring to it as similar to the 9-11 attack that happened in America. A huge surprise, hugely, like monumental. And God, who knows where this is going to go, but, but we know who you are. And so right here today, we as the bridge, we come before you on behalf of those who live in Jerusalem, who are in Judea, who are in Israel, who are in the land of Palestine who are on the Gaza Strip, we just pray, Father God, for the entire region. And we ask that your Holy Spirit would go before. And Lord, we ask for peace to prevail. And we ask, Father God, for you to spare lives 
and for you to just visit upon the hearts of those who lead, bring wisdom. There's always the fight against evil, for sure. And, and sometimes there, there is battle. But Father God, we look to you and we just pray that you would spare lives. And we look to you that you would bring peace. And we will continue to pray towards this end. Even as we've been praying for the land of Ukraine, we're gonna pray for the land that is holy, Father. And we're just gonna continue to pray and ask you to move on behalf of that region of the world. So we do that in Jesus' name. And everyone said, amen, amen. Thank you so much for praying with me. So in this text, out of Acts chapter two, verse 42, it says that the new church committed themselves, they devoted themselves to the fellowship. Now, what in the world is this word fellowship? We think of being somehow akin to each other. We think of hanging out together. We think of a number of things when we think of the word fellowship. The word fellowship literally speaks to the ideology of community, spiritual community. And when it is used here in this particular text, there is this Greek word that they use, and the Greek word is koinonia. And koinonia is a loaded word. It's a loaded word. And there are four different aspects of koinonia or community or fellowship that are actually being referred to in the book of Acts. And so you'll see them on the screen that says they devoted themselves to the fellowship and this idea of koinonia is such an important word. It's like a diamond and it has many facets and in the Bible it's translated as not only just fellowship but also translated as community, translated as participation. Koinonia is translated as contribution and koinonia is translated as generosity. And so while God is informing to the norm through this New Testament church that we take our lead from, the Bible tells us that there was a devotion to the community and that being the community, there was full partnership and full participation in all things, including material things, including financial things. So there was this partnership that came out of this deep sense of community. And so the, the New Testament church had this sensibility that in Christ, they were a part of something bigger than themselves, and they were called by Jesus to literally lay down their lives for that thing that was greater. And that is the church of Christ in the world, perpetuating the church truth of Jesus Christ. So there's a few examples of this that we see in the New Testament. I'm just going to read some of them to you. Philippians chapter 4, verse 15, makes this statement. It says, you became my partners in giving. So we see just some time later, about 50 years later, the apostle Paul is speaking to the church in Philippi, and he's saying to them, look, you are following the idea that was actually seated in the New Testament church in Jerusalem. You're following that idea, and you are koinonia-ing. You are partnering with me. And so 50 years later, you see where the Apostle Paul speaks to the idea that there was this partnering in giving going on. 
And then in Hebrews chapter 13, verse 16, the, the church is, in, is, is literally encouraged. He says, keep doing good and sharing your resources. Keep doing good and share your resources. And that phrase, sharing your resources, comes from that word community or koinonia. In other words, there was this deep sense, again, that they were a part of something bigger than themselves. And I have the question, do you as a set of parents or do you as a parent in your home, are you cultivating in your home with your children that you are a part of something bigger than even your own family unit? Are you cultivating the idea of koinonia, that you are a part of the church of Jesus Christ who perpetuates the truth of Jesus Christ in the world, and that you as a family unit are given to that? You're partnering towards that end. So I'm asking you that. Is that true for you and your family? Then in 2 Corinthians chapter 8, verse 4, it says they begged us to let them have the joy of giving their money for God's people. That phrase, joy of giving their money, is actually from the word fellowship. It's another word for koinonia. And then in 1 Timothy chapter 6, verse 18, it says, be generous and willing to share. Be generous and willing to share. Willing to share is just one word in the original, and it's the word koinonia. So you're, you're seeing this multifaceted ideology about what it is that we are called to fully participate and fully partner in. It's called koinonia. And the Bible says the first church devoted themselves to it. They committed themselves to it. They didn't let anything else get in the way or distract them from it. They were committed to this idea of sharing their resources so that the church could flourish and impact its community in Christ. In fact, verse 47 says they, they were so impactful that the Lord was adding to their number daily those who were being saved. So there's incredible benefits to this koinonia lifestyle, and I want to share a few of them with you, if I may, here on this Thanksgiving weekend. The first benefit to living out this koinonia ethic is that it, it literally creates community. It perpetuates community. It creates community. It cultivates community. That's what generosity and giving does. In 2 Corinthians 9, it tells us your generosity not only provides for the needs of God's people, but it also produces prayers of thanksgiving to God. So there are some people who are walking into this Thanksgiving weekend, and they're giving thanks to God for this beautiful expression of Jesus called the bridge. Because this beautiful expression of Jesus called the bridge has been with them through a very difficult and tough year. There have been people who have lost loved ones. There have been people who have lost their finances and are facing bankruptcy that are with us here today. There are those who are struggling with their health and they have cancer. 
There are those who have family conflict and they're desperate and they're wondering how repair or restoration will come into their family situation. And they're here and they're coming to the bridge and they're thankful because they see this as a community, a fellowship, a koinonia that has has bridged the gap for them when life has come up short. So they see this place and they are giving thanks. And the text says that it produces prayers of thanksgiving to God. This is what koinonia does. When we are fully participating and partnering together, it produces prayers of thanksgiving to God. The Bible says this in Matthew 6, your heart will be wherever your treasure is. In other words, wherever I put my time, my money, my effort, my energy, wherever I invest myself, that's where my heart is going to be. So my money and my resources tend to be a bit of a magnet related to my heart. My investment creates a magnetic field. So in other words, if you wanna get a heart for Apple, the computer company, buy Apple stock, you'll, all, you'll become somewhat preoccupied with how Apple is doing. It's real simple. The moment you buy some stock in Apple, you'll be interested in the company. Wherever you put your time, wherever you put your talents, wherever you put your monetary treasure, you become, it becomes a magnetic field. It begins to draw you, and it becomes bigger than just your financial allocation. It becomes your vocation. It becomes something that you're preoccupied with. It becomes something whereby you begin to believe that you're a part of something so much bigger than even the place that you work at or even the money that you've made, and you begin to see, for instance, the bridge or a kingdom agenda institution, you begin to see it as something worthy of you losing yourself in and being preoccupied with because you've invested in it. So generosity creates community. It creates koinonia. The second thing is, is generosity or giving defeats materialism. And good Lord, we need this. We, we really do. We are materialistic. We live in a world where the God of this age, known to be the devil, has certainly, certainly uh, created systems whereby we begin to believe that we'll only be happy if we have the latest, the newest, the most updated. We begin to believe that, that without something of a material nature, we can't truly be happy. You see, there's a whole belief system and it's, it's built through, through advertising and it's built through, through the, the, the magnetic field of things that we're drawn to them. And, and what ends up happening is we become materialistic even for those of us who follow Jesus. Now, Jesus himself didn't have a materialistic bone in his body. Jesus himself was willing the Bible says he didn't even have a pillow to sleep on. Jesus himself had no preoccupation with the material goods that this world offers because he knew how transitory and temporal they were. He taught that in Matthew 6 where he said, look, don't store up for yourselves treasures here on earth where moth and rust 
come in and thieves come in and steal. And he said, look, don't, don't do it. These things are transitory. These things are temporal. Put your efforts and put your finances in things that are eternal in nature. And so generosity, what it does is it defeats materialism. Let me take you, if I were to take you to Acts chapter 2, verse 42 and through to 47, it says in that text there, I think it's verse 44 or 45, it literally says that the church were so in tune with Jesus that they literally sold their properties, they sold their goods. In other words, they gave up their materialistic lifestyle, they brought it into the coffers of what was then the church, and they met the needs as they were presented. No need was unmet, the Bible says. Every need was met as each one began to share and koinonia in the midst of that beautiful community where people were coming to know Jesus Christ. So what's amazing to me in this is in the seed of selfishness that God has planted a beautiful place called the bridge right in the middle of Markham. One of the biggest, how shall I say, metropolises, one of the biggest regions in the world where, where wealth is experienced. Beautiful cars are being driven. Big houses are being bought. And identity has become associated with possessions. This is true of the land in which we live. And yet God would put this beautiful expression, this little diamond, down into the middle of it all and teach us to not be materialistic but rather to have a kingdom agenda and to bring what it is that he has poured into our lives by way of things and to share them so that the community could be transformed by the love of Jesus Christ. And I'm hopeful that this reductionistic approach to ministry is just temporary. That as we make our way into this new fiscal year that runs from September 1 through to August 30th next year, that we will have the best year ever and that we will be able to emanate the love of Christ in a way that we've never done before. But it's going to take all of us to set aside our materialistic tendencies and to see the kingdom of God and eternal treasures as far more important than some of the things that we have invested in. So anytime you're generous with other people, you're creating a community with them and you're defeating the power of materialism. Thirdly, generosity strengthens my faith. I love what Chase talked about that this is a walk of faith for us. And it strengthens our faith when we're generous. The Bible says in 2 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 13, your giving proves the reality of your faith. Your giving proves the reality of your faith. In other words, there's a connection point from your heart to your digital pocketbook. Your giving demonstrates the reality of your faith. Somehow, this belief system that you have has got to impact your behavior. And it's got to be at impact the way in which you function in a world with a worldview that is led towards materialism and consumerism. Your faith has to rise above that 
and we have to be a people who are thrifty for the kingdom, frugal for the kingdom, willing to even do without or do with less or not see ourselves in terms of the car we drive or the house we live in, in terms of personal identity, but rather to see Jesus as the most important way in which we can identify ourselves and to get involved in his business in the world. So it strengthens our faith when we're generous towards God. In 2 Corinthians chapter 9, Paul says, whoever sows sparingly will reap sparingly, and whoever sows generously will reap generously. If I take a kernel of corn and I plant it into the ground, I'm not going to get one kernel back. I'm not. I'm going to get a stock with hundreds, if not thousands, of kernels. If I take one tomato seed and I plant it into the ground, I'm not going to get one tomato back. I'm going to get a whole ton of tomatoes. So whatever you give out, you're going to get back in greater degree. Because God wants us to learn how to be generous. He says, I'll take care of all your needs if you'll just be generous towards the things that I care about. So money becomes for us an acid test as to our faith. Am I going to be generous and expect God to keep his promises and meet my needs? I love this cute story by Bob McEwen. He tells this story about his son. He took his son over to McDonald's and he bought him a supersized fries. Not a regular fry, a super size fries. Dad was being generous with his son. And he said, driving back home, those fries smelled particularly good in the car. That aroma was just wafting all over the car. And he said, I reached over and took one little French fry out of my son's French fries and I ate it. He said, sorry, he said, I reached over and took one of the French fries out of my son's French fries and I ate it. My son got all upset. And he said, Dad, you can't have that. These are my fries. I immediately had three thoughts. So Bob McEwen is having three thoughts as his son is upbraiding him on having stolen a fry. He says, the first thing I thought about was that my child had forgotten that I am the source of all fries (laughs) in his life. I brought him here. I took him to McDonald's. I made the order. I paid for the order. I handed them to him. I'm driving back home. He wouldn't have any fries if it weren't for me. The only reason he got any fries was because of me, the great fry giver. He said, the second thing I thought is my child doesn't realize that I could take them away in a second if I wanted to. Or on the other hand, I could buy him an entire truckload of fries if I wanted to because I have the power to do either. The third thing I realized is that I didn't need his fries. I could easily have gotten my own fries. I could buy myself a hundred packs of those fries if I wanted to. I just wanted him to learn to be unselfish. What happens? When I start becoming a more generous person, the Bible says in 2 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 8, God is able to make it up to you by giving you everything you need 
and plenty left over to give joyfully to others. God says, if you will practice generosity, being generous with the people around you, I will make it up to you by giving you everything you need, plus I'll even give you more so you'll have more and more to share and to share. Fourthly, when I'm generous with other people, it's an investment in eternity. Generosity is an investment. Luke 16, 9 says, use your worldly resources to benefit others. In this way, your generosity stores up a reward for you in heaven. You've heard me say many times, that you've, and you've heard it said, you can't take it with you. You're never going to see a hearse pulling a U-Haul behind it. It's not going to happen. So being generous is something that you want to be. I find myself, quite frankly, wanting to be generous even in the places of commerce. Not just in the church, but even in the places of commerce, where people, because of what their profession is, end up serving my interests. What am I talking about? I'm talking about the person who cuts my hair. I'm talking about the person who makes the booster juice for me. I'm talking about the person who makes the cup of coffee at Starbucks. I find myself wanting to be generous and like Jesus everywhere I go. So tipping for me is not a begrudging thing. It's a generous thing. And it's something that, that, that I, I believe that God has called us to do. It's funny. I, my, my barber, the guy who cuts my hair, there's only one guy that's going to touch this head, and it's my barber, right? And it, it's, he, we've dealt this trust over the years, and I'm telling you, I give him what he asks and then some. Every time he cuts my hair, I give him what he asks and then some. And then when Christmas comes, he gets something from me. When his birthday comes, he gets something from me, because it's not just about the hair, I care about the man who's cutting my hair. I care about his family, we talk about family all the time. So, out of this generosity, something bigger ends up happening between the two of us where he invites me over for Thanksgiving. Yeah, he invites me over for Thanksgiving. Come, stop by, I'd love to have you meet my family. You see what happens here? An investment, small in measure, develops something by way of an appreciation and a thankfulness. And I'm somehow allowed into his family context? How does that happen? That happens because I am not only generous as it would relate to money, but I'm generous as it would relate to my interest in him in his family, in his growth. He's been here to the bridge. He's been to even to my own home. But there is, this, there is this relationship that has bloomed and it can happen in the places of commerce if we act like Jesus in those very places. If we're generous. Every time I leave someplace where someone has served me, I not only tip them, but I thank them and I tell them what a great job you've done. Thank you so much. 
I, I do that all the time. When someone comes to the table and, and serves me water or serves me my plate or serves, at the end of the experience, I always say, thank you very much, great job, great job. You know, I encourage them. So there is this whole thing where we need to cultivate this, this whole uh, lifestyle of koinonia, not just in the church, but in the community. In, in, in Acts chapter 2, verse 44, 45, it, it's within the community that that generosity was seen so clearly. And the Bible says they, God added, or that they were added to the church daily, those who were being saved. We should be the most generous people in the GTA. That's what we should be. Right? Can I hear an amen? amen. Come on now. Come on now. I know I'm talking about your money, but you can give me an Amen. <laughs> You can do it. I know you can do it. First Timothy 6 says this, tell the rich. Oh, man. Apostle Paul talking here, and he says, tell the rich. Ooh, that's a good start to a sentence. Tell the rich what? What does Paul say? Tell the rich. And by the way, that's all of us when it comes to being rich. If you were to go to global, globalrichlist.com, go there. Put in your average annual income. Go ahead, I trust, I, do it. Go to globalrich.com, put in your average annual income. It'll show you what percentile you're in, in the world. And by the way, everyone here is likely in the top one percentile in the world. Go to globalrich.com and find out just where you sit as it would relate to the world's riches. But we have this opportunity. So Paul says, tell the rich to use their money to do good, giving happily to those in need, always being willing and ready to share with others whatever God has given to them. And by doing this, they will be storing up real treasures for themselves in heaven, the only safe investment for eternity. And they will be living fruitful Christian lives down here as well. So it's an investment for what's to come. It's an investment for what it is we're living out in this world right here. So my generosity with other people is an investment in eternity. When you warm the heart of the very people around you through your generous life and lifestyle, you are actually moving them closer and closer to the most generous one, that being God himself, who so loved the world that he gave. What did he give? He gave his one and only son that whoever would believe in him will not perish, but have everlasting life. Your generosity makes the connection to that reality. Make no mistake about it. Your generosity makes the connection to that ultimate reality. Number five, generosity blesses me in return. It not only creates community and defeats materialism and strengthens my faith and is an investment for eternity, it blesses me with a return in the here and now. 
I don't have to wait to get to heaven to be blessed through this act of giving. And this is stated over and over and over in the Bible. God blesses those who are generous. It's like hundreds of times God says, I want you to get this one for sure. I want you to become like me. I want you to learn to be generous. And if you do, I will bring greater levels of graciousness into your life. So there's a lot of examples of how generosity blesses me in return. Here's one out of the book of Deuteronomy. In Deuteronomy chapter 15, it says, give generously and do so without a grudging heart. Then because of this, the Lord your God will bless you in all your work and in everything that you put your hand to. That's a pretty big promise. Notice he says all and everything. God says I'll bless you in all you do and everything that you put your hand to. I wonder how many here would like that to happen. He says give generously, give generously. What is amazing to me is that some people can trust God for their eternal salvation, but don't trust God with their finances, the things that are actually temporal in nature. What's the logic behind that? In other words, I can trust God to forgive all my sins. I can trust God to secure my eternity in heaven, but how can I not also trust him to meet my needs this side of heaven? God calls us to put our faith in him regarding each and every aspect of our living. Here's the sixth reason that uh, generosity is beneficial to us. It produces happiness. Generosity produces happiness. In Acts 20, verse 35, it says there is more happiness in giving than in receiving. Paul was quoting Jesus there. Paul was quoting Jesus there. There is more happiness in giving than receiving. The book of Acts, which informs to the norm, tells us that there is more happiness in giving than in receiving. There's just something beautiful about the freedom that comes into our lives in the way in which we bless other people freely without, without this sense of, of, oh, I don't know if I can, I don't know if I want to, uh, it, this hurts, this hurts. No, there's something, Bible calls it, there's a word hilarity, which, is, which means laughter. There's a laughter, there's a joy that comes into our life when we're no longer materially bound and we're eternally invested. When we give freely, there's a happiness and a, a sense of wellness that literally comes into our lives. And God produces this in us. Then there's a seventh reason why God wants us to be generous. It's the most important of all. And it's that generosity actually makes you more like God himself. When God sent Jesus, he he sent Jesus to rectify a wrong. 
when God set Adam and Eve up in the Garden of Eden, he gave them abundance. The horn of plenty. They lacked nothing. It wasn't a thing that they needed. They even had God himself walking with them in the Garden of Eden. They had it all. God was generous to Adam and Eve and set them up for everything that they ever would need. But somehow, Satan himself niggled into their minds, convinced them that they were short on something, that there was something that they didn't have, that God was holding out. And so they went to that forbidden tree and they took what they didn't need. They didn't even need it. But they took it because they believed that they did. Changed everything. It absolutely changed everything. From that day henceforth, humanity has been fighting the lies related to what it is they need and don't need. God gives us a very clear, clear picture throughout scripture as to how he provides, what he provides, and what he wants us to avoid. And then he gives us the free will, right? He gives us everything we need for life and living and promises to supply. Just like with the Garden of Eden, he promises to give us absolutely everything we need for life and living. You need threads? God's gonna help you out with that. You need food? God's gonna help you out with that. You need a car? God's gonna help you out with that. You need a roof over your head? God's gonna help you out with that. But what you don't need is excess. You don't, things, you don't need things you don't need. And so all of a sudden, he rectifies that situation by bringing none other than Jesus Christ who knows innately, having come from heaven where there are ultimate riches, that while here on earth, he knows what he needs and he knows what he doesn't need and he does not ask for something that he does not need. He lives within the realm of his, God, his father's kingdom agenda and as he lives that out, God pours out his spirit into the earth and rectifies and heals humanity from that moment in time where they believed that they needed something they didn't. And we are healed of that moment. And now because of Jesus and his broken body and shed blood, we now have the abundance flowing and coursing through our veins. And it's called our faith. And we can trust God for everything once again. And if we do, he walks right beside us, just like he did in the Garden of Eden. He's with you every moment of the day. He's fellowshipping with you. He sees it coming, whatever it is that is your need. And he is making way for preparation. God is with you and the situation has been rectified. How? By him giving. By him giving us what we really needed 
and that was a savior in the name of Jesus Christ. So I want you to bow your heads with me, please. Just bow your heads. Father, in the name of Jesus, let not this message be anything less than a call to faith in you, in your provision. First and foremost, the provision of Jesus himself who heals our brokenness, whereby we have believed that we have needed so many things that the world has to offer, things that are not good for us, things that break our souls. May we believe that you, O oh God, have provided all things through the person of Jesus Christ. And then, may we fully participate and devote ourselves to the kind of fellowship and community and partnership that the New Testament church gave themselves to where there was no need, for the need was always met out of the generosity of that beautiful community like a diamond in the middle of Jerusalem. Father, may we be that. May we live up to that. I pray it in Jesus' name, amen.